Welcome back to the Dirt Show. <clears throat> Apologize for my cold. It's not COVID. I've been tested for it, but it's a bad cold. So <clears throat> I may have some trouble sustaining my voice for a half an hour, but I'll try my best with the help of a little tea and some cough medicine. Um, tonight is the fourth night of Hanukkah, the uh, holiday of lights. Uh, the story of Hanukkah, there are a lot of stories, but the main story is that the oppressors of the Jews had destroyed the Holy Temple and had left only enough oil for the menorah to light one night. And the miracle of Hanukkah is that the menorah lit for eight nights. And so <clears throat> what we do is every night we light a new candle until we reach the eight. So <clears throat> I'm going to say the blessing. Um, this is a kippah from my wife and my wedding in August 24th, 1986. So <clears throat> it has some, some meaning for me. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu Lahadlik Ner I think my grandfather would have been ashamed of me for my <clears throat> poor cold voice. He was a cantor and he would love to sing his own composition uh, for some of the uh, liturgy <clears throat> around um, Hanukkah and other holidays. Uh, here's another menorah. This is a very interesting one. I'm not using it, but the menorah is made out of rockets that were fired by Hamas at the small town of Steyrot in southern Israel, right near the Gaza Strip. And people collected the rockets, Obviously, they killed people, they hurt people, but they collected them and they made a menorah out of them. And obviously, it's, it's, it's a nice symbol that a symbol of hate can be made into a symbol of light. Um, a couple more stories. One, one of the things that happens on Hanukkah is that the kids play with something called a dreidel. It's a little spin top, which has four Hebrew letters on it. This particular dreidel was found in the dirt of the Warsaw Ghetto after the end of the Second World War, showing that even at a time of great strain and crisis and, and pervasive death, um, people were complying with the traditions and uh, playing the game. One more. I spent one um, Hanukkah in uh, Moscow and Leningrad, St. Petersburg, representing dissidents. And one of the dissidents gave me a Hanukkah gift. It was a dreidel, and it had on it the heads of all the people who had made the Jewish dissidents' life unbearable. Um, it had Stalin, and it had uh, Marx, and it had Lenin, <clears throat> and it had uh, others as well. And what the dissident told me is these guys have been playing with our heads for so long, I decided to make a dreidel so I can play with their heads. So this is my 
dreidel in which dissidents um, played with the heads of the people who were oppressing them. It really does show the spirit of light and how darkness can be overcome by light uh, if people do have the right attitude and light a candle instead of cursing the dark. Hanukkah is the holiday of lighting the candle and not cursing the dark. It's certainly appropriate sometimes to curse the dark when the dark is doing some of the things that have been done to human beings over the years. But uh, lighting a candle is, is a more positive, is a more positive act. So <clears throat> let's turn to today's um, subject unrelated to Hanukkah. I couldn't even think of a connection. Um, the House-dominated Ways and Committee dominated by Democrats um, has published uh, Donald Trump's uh, tax returns. Um, that resulted from a Supreme Court decision, a nine to nothing Supreme Court decision in which the Supreme Court basically said that Congress had a legitimate legislative function in subpoenaing the tax records of Donald Trump. If you believe that, there's a bridge out my window that I'll sell you really cheap. I don't think anybody believes that the House Ways and Means Committee subpoenaed and got Donald Trump's tax returns for any legitimate legislative purpose. Obviously, they got it to look at the returns, to embarrass him, uh, perhaps to find that he did something wrong if he did. <clears throat> and um, the legislative purpose was just a cover, and obviously a cover. And um, I'm amazed the Supreme Court nine to nothing fell for it. You know, I've criticized nine to nothing Supreme Court decisions before uh, when Bill Clinton <coughs> was being investigated. The court ordered that he sit for a multi-day deposition while he was trying to run the country. And he challenged that. And the Supreme Court nine to nothing ruled that the president of the United States in a civil case had to sit for multi-day deposition instead of doing the country's business. That was just dead wrong. And I think a lot of people now realize that was wrong. I suspect that a lot of people will come to realize that the nine to nothing Supreme Court decision allowing uh, the House Ways and Means Committee uh, to subpoena um, records of Donald Trump tax returns from the IRS. I think they'll realize that was a terrible mistake. It may take the Republicans doing the same thing to the Democrats, and they will. Uh, what's going to stop? a Democratic-controlled House Ways and Means Committee of um, subpoenaing the tax returns of Hunter Biden, saying, no, 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 we're not interested in voyeuristically looking at the tax returns to see if he's done anything wrong. No, we're only interested in achieving a legislative purpose, a legitimate, broad legislative purpose. That's such total nonsense. And the best proof that it was nonsense is if you have a legislative purpose in studying the tax returns, well, well study them. What's the legislative purpose in making them public? What's the legislative purpose in having everybody peek into Donald Trump's tax returns? We're all voyeurists. We all want to know um, how much did he pay, if anything. <clears throat> we know he paid very little compared to the rest of us. And that's, you know, legitimate for us to know, but not under the pretext that was used by the House Ways and Means Committee. They said, no, that wasn't the reason in order to uh, look at Donald Trump's uh, tax returns. And it couldn't be because 
under our system of separation of powers, uh, tax returns is an executive function, not a legislative function. And the Bill of Attainder Clause prohibits Congress essentially from making decisions about individual particular people. And when you subpoena the tax returns of a former president and assumed to be future candidate for president, you better have a darn good legislative purpose in doing so. And I don't think the Supreme Court had uh, the right decision when they agreed. It was a unsigned nine to nothing per curiam opinion that didn't say very much, but there were no dissenting opinions. I think Justice Scalia, had he been on the court, would have dissented. He believed very strongly in separation of powers and checks and balances, but there were no dissents. Um, there had been an initial stay granted by the Chief Justice, but then he was obviously overruled and he decided not to write a dissenting opinion. There may be some more litigation over this, um, but at the moment, any of us can read Donald Trump's uh, tax returns. In fact, I was uh, asked tonight if I wanted to write the preface or the introduction to a book publishing uh, Trump's uh, tax returns. Um, because obviously people are interested. I'm interested. Of course, I'd love to see what he did, uh, what he paid, what he didn't pay. I'd love to see who he contributed to, but that's voyeuristic. Uh, I myself was victimized by that once. Must be 20 years ago, I can tell you that. The president of Harvard was <coughs> Larry Summers and the uh, most important ball player on the Boston Celtics, on the most famous, was Larry Bird. And I got a call from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Boston saying, you've been a victim of a crime. I said, that's funny, I don't feel like a victim. And they said, somebody in the IRS Boston office who had no authority to look at your tax returns, looked at yours, Larry Bird, Larry Summers, and a few other prominent people. And they came to the conclusion and it wasn't an attempt to extort or it wasn't an attempt to scam or do anything like that. It was just the guy was bored and he said, what the hell, if I press a button, I can see Dershowitz's tax returns. I'll be interested. Is he making a lot of money? Does he give a lot of charity? Um, yeah, I give a lot of charity. Um, and uh, but I don't want I don't want you to know necessarily what charities I give to that, I would think, is somewhat private information. I also don't want you to know um, which clients necessarily have paid me uh, legal fees to consult with them on a confidential basis. Um, the, a large percentage of the cases I do never result in public disclosure. I mean, the great victories that I and other lawyers have achieved is when a client comes to you and he's about to be indicted and you can prevent that from happening and his name never appears in the papers. Um, that's the greatest victory a lawyer uh, can have. But um, if, uh, if my tax returns indicate <clears throat> that I got you know, a $25,000 legal fee from so-and-so, a prominent guy, it's gonna lead the media to investigate and see what was this guy? Why is he hiring Alan Dershowitz? He hired Alan Dershowitz, he must've done something wrong. Uh, that's obviously the way the media will look at it. Um, not always, as you know, I've represented dissidents, I've represented human rights activists, I've represented people who've been denied their First Amendment rights, but I've also obviously represented people charged with crime, 
some of whom have been have been guilty. So um, um, the fear that I have is, you know, Donald Trump ran for president. He should have disclosed the tax returns. Uh, he had the right not to, at least he used to have the right not to. Now, apparently he doesn't have that right. But um, I don't think it's a big deal that a man who's running for president again should have his tax returns vetted by, by the public. What I am very much afraid of is the presidential effect this will have on your tax returns, on your uncle's tax returns, on your children's tax returns, on my tax returns. Um, and uh, it's so easy now to get a congressional committee just to subpoena them. All I have to do is say the magic words, legitimate legislative purpose. And then the court laughs. <laughs> we know it's not a legitimate legislative purpose. We know it's designed only to uh, embarrass and give political advantage to one side over the other. But we're not going to say that. We're going to act as if the legislature really has a legitimate purpose. And so we're going to give the tax returns to the committee. And then as soon as that was done, I predicted, I think on this show, but I certainly predicted on other shows that the tax returns would be leaked by members of the committee. Well, it was worse than leaked. They just published them. They just gave them to every newspaper and media outlet in, in the country. And uh, it's uh, um, demonstrates to me without a doubt that uh, Congress did not have a legitimate legislative purpose. They, their only purpose was <clears throat> to make sure that the voting public um, saw Trump's tax returns and, and perhaps got mad at him because he didn't pay taxes. Now, there are a lot of different ways of not paying taxes. There's tax um, um, evasion and there's tax uh, avoidance. Um, good lawyers specialize in reducing the amount of tax that people pay. If you don't like that, change the law. The law gives particularly real estate developers tremendous advantage and allows them to deduct depreciation and other things which result in many, many wealthy um, real estate people, not only Donald Trump, but if you looked at all the real, the tax returns of the prominent real estate uh, moguls in New York, uh, you will find a lot of them don't pay a lot of taxes. I mean, I'm in favor of a minimum tax that every taxpayer should have to pay at the very least a certain percentage, 10%, 15%, 20% of what they really earned or what they really have without the kind of finagling about depreciations and all of that. But that's not the law. And um, you can criticize Trump for taking all the deductions that are available to him. Um, maybe everybody should be charitable and give pay more taxes than they're obliged to. But that's not the law. And so um, I, I have seen so far no indication that Trump and his accountants and his lawyers um, violated tax laws. Maybe, maybe we'll see that in, in, in weeks and months to come because people will be able to look at the tax returns and will be able to see things and do investigations and maybe come to the conclusion that um, something was wrong. But that's not a proper legislative function. That's the proper function of the IRS. That's the proper function of the U.S. Attorney's Office. 
That's the proper function of the attorney general. That's the proper function of prosecutors. That's the proper function of the executive branch and the judicial branch through the grand jury. It is most decidedly not a proper function of the legislature. The Supreme Court of the United States has said that we do have a system of separation of powers and the powers given to Congress are limited. You may remember that when um, people like uh, Jefferson and Madison proposed the Bill of Rights, uh, Hamilton said, we don't need a Bill of Rights. Um, You don't need a law that says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Congress doesn't have the authority to make such a law. So Hamilton was opposed to a Bill of Rights. He wrote about it in the Federalist Papers. He eventually came around uh, somewhat. But um, he believed in a limited legislative function. And, and, and he said that if Congress tried to pass a law abridging the freedom of speech, even without the First Amendment, it would be ultra-virus. It would be acting beyond its authority because Congress has limited authority. Article One of the Constitution sets out what Congress can do. And it doesn't include abridging freedom of speech. And it certainly doesn't include referring people for prosecution or examining their tax returns. And so I think Hamilton would be turning over in his grave if he knew how the legislative function was being expanded beyond all recognition for partisan political purposes. What we're seeing is the weaponization of the Constitution. And many of my colleagues at Harvard Law School, Yale Law School, are participating uh, in that. Um, they construe the Constitution in a way that always comes out their way politically in a partisan fashion. Uh, I don't. Um, I construe the Constitution as it was intended, as it's written. Sometimes it favors my political point of view. Oftentimes it, it doesn't favor my political point of view. But my interpretation of the Constitution is never political. It's never partisan. It's always based on my best intellectual analysis of the text of the Constitution, the words of the framers, the Constitutional Convention, the various state constitutional conventions. When I defended President Trump on the floor of the Senate, I went back and I read all of this, all of it. I sat in my little room um, with dusty books and, and, and little pads and stick them notes. And I went through every word to see what the framers meant when they said that president can be impeached for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And what they meant was you can't be impeached for abuse of power, obstruction of Congress, or any of these vague terms. It has to be criminal type conduct akin to treason and bribery. That's what the words mean, treason, bribery, or other, other high crimes and misdemeanors, other modifies crimes and misdemeanors. And so it has to be interpreted to mean criminal conduct or criminal type conduct akin to treason and bribery. So, you know, that's the way I read the Constitution. Um, I read it uh, objectively and neutrally. You might disagree with my conclusions. Sometimes it comes out your way, sometimes it doesn't. But I can assure you that I have never read the Constitution in other than a principled way that reflects the original understanding, the original intent, um, what the Constitution has come to mean over the years, 
are changing societies, but not partisan advantage. So we'll be doing more of these kinds of discussions <clears throat> over time. So let's get to letters now. You remember that yesterday's show got a lot, a lot of letters. Yesterday's show was about the five things that happened in the 21st century. I limited it to the 21st century, not the 20th century. I limited it to the beginning of this century to basically the end of 2022. And of course, the first dumb letter missed that point. Here's what it says. The assassination of Archduke Ferdinand set off World War I. Odd that. You are one dumb Jew. Well, you know, I might be a dumb Jew. But um, when you put the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand into the 21st century, that says something about your historical knowledge or intelligence as well. I was dealing with the 21st century. You're dealing with the 20th century. <clears throat> okay. Who's the world's worst aggressor? It's not Russia. It's the United States, folks. And then he goes on to show how many times the United States has engaged in, in warfare. But in every case, it was warfare of self-defense. After 9-11, um, we attacked Afghanistan to prevent the Taliban from repeating the horrors of 9-11. Um, we attacked Iraq. I didn't approve of that. I think it was wrong. Um, I hope we attack Iran. I'm not a peacenik. Um, a good war is better than a bad peace. And if Iran were ever to develop nuclear weapons, it would be the end of any kind of stability in the, in the Middle East. So yeah, the United States has engaged in, in aggression. So have uh, Great Britain and many other countries. But I, I don't think you can compare any of those aggressions with what the Russians have been doing in Ukraine. People can disagree, but that's that's my view. Okay. Um, if white people are collectively guilty, then lawyers are even more collectively liable. People didn't choose to be white. Yes, yet derp, I guess, go out of his way to become a lawyer. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. I'm selected to be a lawyer. I didn't select my race or my religion, but I selected to be a lawyer and I selected a career of defending the most despised people and defending them against uh, government overreaching and unconstitutional actions. I'm very proud of that. It's a great tradition in America, uh, starting with John Zenger and going on to um, Adams and Lincoln and um, many other people. Um, in, in the 19th, 20th century, Clarence Darrow, Thurgood Marshall. Um, if you don't like lawyers, move to a country that doesn't have them. Uh, Iran, um, China, China has lawyers, but they're not allowed to defend uh, dissidents. In this country, we are. So I'm very proud of my role. I don't take pride in my racial identity. That's just an accident in biology. But I take great pride in my decision to become a lawyer, an aggressive lawyer, and one who has successfully defended many falsely accused people, along with some truthfully accused people. That's the price we pay for having a system of law. This video is another one of the Zionist attempts to propagandize these events. It is so obvious 
that the U.S., Saudi, and the Israeli government are responsible for 9-11. The U.S. and the Israeli governments are also responsible for all of these events. They are all psychops, false flag events used to sway popular opinion and further the Zionist agenda to enslave American citizens. It's really remarkable that somebody who can keep two words together can be so stupid and nasty and ahistorical and um, following kind of Nazi uh, ideology. But I read these things because we have to know who our neighbors are. We have to know that people really think that 9-11 was a, a deep state plot by Israel and the United States. <clears throat> All of these events were absolutely of a big impact in the world. <clears throat> but the involvement of the most people possible, it has to be the pandemic, which is related to many of the other events that core cause most of the reaction from humanity as a whole. I am uh, in agreement with most Christians and others who feel that it is a literal war between good and evil. Uh, can't get bigger than that if you read the entire uh, Bible. Well, I've read the entire Bible. And um, good and evil uh, are not always on the, on the side of Christians or Jews or Muslims. Um, many wars have been fought in the name of the Bible and religion that are not justified. Some have been justified, but no secular country, whether it be the United States or Israel, <coughs> should take its laws from the Bible. We learn from the Bible. Do not kill. Do not, um, you know, do, do other things that the Ten Commandments prohibits. That's fine. But the Bible is not a uh, is not a uh, a law book. Uh, I think I once told you this, but um, in the run up to Christmas, I'll repeat it again. I have an old Massachusetts colony law book, the 1630s or something around there, and in the book it makes it a crime, a serious crime, to celebrate Christmas. Uh, the Puritans thought Christmas was a, uh, a pagan holiday, and they punished any employer who allowed their employees to take the day off on Christmas or to uh, uh, put up any symbols of, of Christmas. So um, we've never had agreement um, religiously, even in this, in this country. This is the happiest day of my life because I am able to correct Professor Dershowitz, um, perhaps the foremost constitutional scholar, about an error in the Constitution. Professor Dershowitz is simply wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, he says that the Constitution is a racist document. That is completely false. The fact that the Constitution makes no reference whatsoever to race, it makes a distinction between free and not free um, individuals, but there is no reference whatever to the race of these individuals. I fear that it is the service of political correctness. Professor Dershowitz is misrepresenting what the Constitution says. It's a sad day for America. No, I'm not. If you go back to the Constitutional Conventions, you see that race played a very important role, that there was a direct correlation between a free and race, not a 100% correlation. There were a very tiny, tiny number of non-Black slaves, and there were a significant number of black free uh, people, but the vast majority of not free people were enslaved people. And the constitution authorized that. 
and it authorized the slave trade. Now, the slave trade, you know, didn't involve uh, people from Ireland and in, in Italy uh, and, and, and Poland. It involved people from Africa. And those people were black people and they were brought to the United States in the Middle Passage. So I think it's, it's cute, um, but it's not correct to say that the Constitution does not uh, include <coughs> invidious references to race. I think it, I think it does. Um, okay, last question. Reason that the killing of George Floyd was so impactful is because we all saw a white man kneeling on the neck of a black man, a graphic reminder of the horrible history of slavery and something we are ashamed of and want to forget. And that is why meritocracy sometimes takes a second seat to identity, culture, or race in the way we make up for injustice in our history. Hard to say if it's right or wrong. That's a very thoughtful, that's a very thoughtful letter. I, I agree with it. I, I don't think it's all right or all wrong. I think identity politics has costs, but I think recognizing the relevance of race in American history is an important part of our reckoning with a history of racism, a history of slavery, and a history of mistreatment of African-American people by whites, including especially white law enforcement officials over the years. Now, blacks were not the only people. They were the primary people. Leo Frank was lynched by an all-white mob in Marietta, Georgia, um, after being convicted of a crime he was totally innocent of. Um, he was white, Jewish, and um, uh, there have been other uh, uh, lynchings, but not very many. Lynchings have been primarily a function of um, uh, racism against black people. All right, you can send me more information about the five, the big five, and what you think. And um, in the meantime, uh, Merry Christmas. I probably won't see you until after Christmas. Merry Christmas, uh, Happy Hanukkah, and uh, may it be a season of, of joy and light for, for everyone. See you next week.